Hi, and welcome once more to the All Plane Podcast. Here talking with the movers and shakers that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. And as usual, before I introduce today's guest, let me remind you, you can find all the previous episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories on the All Plane website. That's allplane.tv, A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E.tv. Today, we revisit the topic of advanced air mobility. But we're not going to talk just about any other EVTOL. Joint Air Mobility really stands out. Why? Well, because its founders have chosen a rather unique approach to develop their aircraft. Let's first take a step back to about 100 years ago, when a Spanish engineer called Juan de la Cierva invented something called the Autogyro, which is a sort of crossover between a fixed-wing aircraft and a helicopter. At the time, the concept didn't stick, but the idea of combining the best attributes of rotorcraft and of fixed-wing aircraft didn't go away. Could actually this hybrid approach be the best way to overcome some of the most pressing challenges that EVTOLs face concerning safety and energy efficiency? John's founders certainly see it this way and are getting ready to prove it. John is working on an EVTOL concept that uses both a rotor to take off and land and a wing with four electric motors that provide distributed propulsion during the cruise stages of the flight. Jean is also thinking about the support ecosystem and the infrastructure that will be necessary to roll out such an aircraft and to operate it efficiently. So it has teamed up with a broad range of partners and there's even a plan in place to build a whole air mobility network in Quebec, a territory where Jean has a, a big part of its activities. So to talk about all of this in detail and answer my questions about many of the technical and business aspects of the Jaunt project. Today we are joined by Simon Briseño, the Chief Commercial Officer at Jaunt Air Mobility. Tune in for a conversation covering in depth some of the most interesting details of a truly innovative project in the field of EVTOL technology. Hello Simon, how are you? Excellent, uh, good to meet you Miguel. Thank you very much for joining us today here on the podcast. You are the Chief Commercial Officer of Jaunt Air Mobility, which is one of the most interesting projects in the field of EVTOLs right now, and we're going to soon see why. But first of all, I would like you to tell us a bit more about yourself, your background. I know that you are an aerospace engineer, that you've got 70-plus papers published on aerospace topics, so a pretty impressive CV. Tell us a bit more about yourself, and, and then we move on to the, the Jaunt project. Yes, thanks. And thanks for having me. So so I have spent over 25 years in aerospace and aviation. And as you as you pointed out, uh, the majority of that time I spent at Georgia Tech and as a research faculty in uh, mostly transformative aviation and aircraft design, uh, doing a lot of conceptual design, developing advanced design methods as well for novel aircraft configurations. Uh, I spent uh, a lot of time looking at the integration of technologies uh, like electric motors and batteries, developing dis distributed electric propulsion architectures, and uh, how you know exploring how that allowed uh, designers to come up with very novel configuration designs and provide you know better performance and uh, better capabilities uh, for for different markets. Um, worked very closely with NASA, uh, particularly NASA Langley, the FAA, uh, and the FAA Research Center, 
in looking at the safety aspects as well for a lot of these different uh, configurations. Actually, the the safety safety aspect, I think it's it's a very important component of the project you're working on now, Jont, because of the very peculiar configuration of your engines and the and the uh, well the different structural elements. I would say, right? Absolutely. Um, in fact, and and I can we can uh, go a little deeper on on our design. Uh, but yes, we have, uh, you know, the, the three key, um, I would say, uh, benefits or highlights of our aircraft are uh, the safety, the efficiency and the, and the you know, the acoustics. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something all three of them are a result uh, of the aircraft design itself, the patented technologies that we have. Um, and I can certainly uh, explain why 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 we believe we are the safest aircraft, uh, eVTOL, in, in, in the market and why we're the most efficient. And those are, you know, obviously very two key uh, factors uh, for not just certification, but uh, to have a viable, you know, economically viable operation for our customers. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can talk about all this in a minute, but first of all, apologies yeah. because I interrupted you. Uh, no. you, were ex- you were explaining um, how you, you were, uh, you had studied in depth all the, like the, the, the matter of, of safety please continue because absolutely uh, and and so i spent uh, at georgia tech uh over the last decade or so before joining jaunt uh doing research closely with those organizations looking at these different configurations understanding their 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 pros and cons right um it's not always just about uh performance uh there is uh, obviously a very key safety factor uh there's a lot of acoustics uh we know that you know aircraft for this market flying at low altitudes near large urban areas, um, a big, a big, uh, a big factor is public acceptance, and uh, probably number one on their list is is uh, the the noise uh, that that a lot of existing uh, rotorcraft like helicopters have. And so I, I did that. I also um, had a lab that I managed uh, for unmanned aerial systems, um, particularly looking at smaller drones. Uh, and and the and prototyping, looking at the the development of autonomous uh, capabilities, path planning, uh, all these uh, different uh, you know new technologies and capabilities that will eventually find their way onto uh, you know larger aircraft like the one that we have at Jaunt. Uh, we were currently you know uh, certifying a piloted aircraft, but eventually over time as uh, autonomy uh, becomes uh, more and more common, uh, we, we will introduce, you know, some of those capabilities into our aircraft. So that, that was the, the sort of the, the uh, you know, high level of, of, of the research that I did over the last decade or so at, at Georgia Tech. And then uh, I joined Jaunt over two years ago. Uh, Jaunt is a relatively young company too. It's uh, three years old. Uh, I was uh, part of the uh, working closely with the the founders uh, before I joined, and you know, I I did my my sort of own internal analysis, and uh, for there are many factors why uh, I decided to to join John. But of course, uh, the two that stood out to me uh, was the 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 team itself, and and I can share you know particularly our our CEO and his experience, but the rest of the team as well, and their background and the knowledge that they brought. And, and the aircraft, the business model, the, the, the aircraft that, that we have, the technology and the 
approach that we're taking to commercialize our aircraft, not just to develop a platform for, for testing and, and, and experimentation, but truly to get to a quick commercial uh, vehicle that, that we can field uh, to our operators. And so uh, those, you know, there were other factors as well, but, but um, it, was a, it was a pretty straightforward decision um, to, to come on board. And, you know, my role at, at Jaunt now is to focus on uh, developing, doing a business development, commercial strategy, uh, managing, you know, all of our, our different uh, customer uh, relationships, and also looking at uh, beyond the aircraft, when we are going to, uh, you know, bring this aircraft into the market, there's a new ecosystem uh, that will have to be addressed in terms of infrastructure and particularly charging infrastructure. Uh, as I mentioned, the public acceptance, there's quite a bit of education and, you know, awareness that needs to be brought to the public. And so that's that's kind of the role that I, I play at Jaunt. And, and, and so that, that's kind of an overview of my background. Excellent. I think it would be great if, if we could then move on to the aircraft, because the aircraft, I must say, I'm going to post some pictures on the, on the show notes, but it's something truly unique in, in, in this EVTOL space. It reminds me a little bit, there was, I think, in the 1920s, 1930s, there was a, a Spanish engineer called De La Sierva that he created a concept it was a, i think he called him an auto auto giro which was a sort of a mix a, a crossover between a, a fixed wing aircraft and a and a helicopter and your concept is a little bit similar in this regard obviously the technology is, is a lot more modern but you have an aircraft for four passengers that combines a fixed wing with a distributed propulsion so it's got four small engines on the wing but it also has a, a a central propeller on the top like a helicopter so it, it looks a bit like a hybrid when uh, when you see it from from the outside and that i guess has some some advantages maybe it has some some cons as well why this concept and what what are, what are the what are the advantages that that uh, brought you to this uh structural solution yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll start by saying that there, you know, for for decades in aviation, fixed wing uh, uh, and rotorcraft uh, aircraft designs uh, have proven to be, you know, the safest and most efficient designs for horizontal and vertical flight. So, in other words, you know, uh, all the fixed wing aircraft that you see today pretty much look the same, right? It's a kind of a tube and wing. They're the most efficient aircraft for cruise flight. Uh, and, you know, for vertical flight, uh, helicopters primarily, um, a single, having a single main rotor has been the most efficient. And it's really all just about physics. Uh, helicopters look the way they look because they're extremely efficient in vertical flight. But helicopters, unfortunately, are not efficient at all in cruise flight. And what we wanted to uh, do is to combine the best of both worlds, uh, essentially take the most efficient in, in, in both of the flight phases. Uh, but it really wasn't until what we call, you know, the age of electrification in the last decade or so that really has allowed us to take those two sort of concepts, uh, bring them into one. And, and it's what you call a compound configuration because it has both of the, the, the fixed wing and the single main rotor. 
And now with the, the advances in battery technology and electric motor and motor controllers, uh, we can truly take advantage of the efficiencies of both of these. But there's still one missing element, and that's our patented technology. We acquired the slowed rotor compound technology from a company called Carter Aviation uh, that had been in, uh, developing this slowed rotor compound design for several decades. And their concept was an auto gyro. Uh, they, they were able to develop a, a prototype uh, that has over 300 flight hours and mature the main rotor technology. Uh, what we did is we took that, that technology that now is part of Jaunt and particularly on the main rotor design, and we combined it with an all electric aircraft and we added electric motors to the main rotor. And so what that means is we are not an auto gyro. We're not a gyro. We are a, a fully hovering, you know, powered lift aircraft. In other words, we 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 operate like a conventional helicopter in vertical flight. Uh, but then with that technology, and that's why it's called slowed rotor. Once we transition uh, into cruise flight and we offload the main rotor, uh, the weight of the aircraft is now on the wings we can slow that main rotor down significantly. And this has been um, something that's been very difficult to achieve for many reasons. Uh, there's a lot of instabilities and vibration effects uh, with, with main rotors, but we get down to uh, less than 100 RPM. And in the prototype that we have uh, that has been flown in the past, when you are underneath and you look at it fly uh, and with the wings only, that main rotor is, is uh, spinning so slowly, you can actually look at, count the number of revolutions with your naked eye. Wow. Um, and so what that means for us is not only are we taking advantage of the fixed wing uh, efficiency in cruise flight, but our main rotor is offloaded. It's just going uh, along for the ride. Uh, think of it like a flywheel, essentially. It's just spinning. Uh, it's, it's effectively auto-rotating just in cruise flight. Okay. And then as soon as we, we uh, you know, get to our destination and we need to transition back to vertical flight, our electric motors spool the main rotor back up and, and we, um, you know, land like a conventional helicopter. Mm -hmm. And so that, that effectively, it's a very simple design. Uh, simple is good uh, because engineering wise, it means that we don't have many moving parts. Um, we have a very straightforward design from a certification standpoint and a safety standpoint. It's also very advantageous. And so, yeah, our, our, our four propellers on the wing, uh, we have two electric uh, motors on each wing. They provide the anti-torque uh, for the main rotor. So if you think of a conventional helicopter has a tail rotor, the function of the tail rotor is to prevent the, the helicopter from, from spinning on its axis because of the, the torque from the main rotor. Uh, we don't have a tail rotor. Our, our tail rotor is effectively the, the propellers on our wings, and that's how we provide that anti-torque. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have uh, uh, much more redundancy than a conventional helicopter as well. So uh, basically, uh, to visualize it, you would take off and land vertically with the main rotor. And when you are cruising, basically the four engines on the wings do most of the work. Uh, the main rotor is still spinning. Is it still some consuming some energy or it's spinning just because of the, the movement through the air makes the, the rotor the spin reason, a little bit? Right. The reason it's actually still spinning is because uh, part of that 
patented technology is is the design of that main rotor. In other words, it has uh, tip weights um, on the tip of the rotor, uh, some heavy weights. And so once when we take off vertically and we spool that main rotor up like a conventional helicopter, there's uh, energy that's stored in that. Think of it again like a flywheel that has a weight. And so that main rotor is provided in cruise flight. It's slowed down and it continues to spin because of some of that energy that's stored in that rotor. But it is providing the, the electric motors are providing very little energy to just to keep it spinning because it, it needs to spin from a stability standpoint. We can't mm -hmm. completely stop it. Uh, but 95% of the, the weight of the aircraft is on the wings and the aircraft in cruise flight is operating like a conventional airplane. It has the wing mounted uh, propellers that are providing the thrust. It also has conventional flight control surfaces. So it has ailerons, elevator, rudder, and so the the pilot flies the airplane like a like a or flies the aircraft like an airplane, but yes, the rotor continues to spin just naturally with a little bit of power, but also because of those weights on the on the tips of the rotor. And could it land as a conventional fixed wing aircraft if needed? It can. It absolutely uh, can do that on a runway in an event of an emergency. If for some reason, something happens to the main rotor, we can land. Uh, but the beauty of the safety is that we can auto-rotate and use our fixed wing, the combination of both. Uh, unlike a helicopter, and of course, unlike a conventional airplane that only has one of those, we have both, uh, but we also have enhanced auto-rotation capabilities. So unlike a helicopter, if, if some of your, you or your audience are uh, familiar with the height velocity diagram or the dead man's curve in helicopters, uh, there's a region, uh, two regions where, you know, helicopters cannot auto-rotate based on the height or the velocity or the combination of both. And of course, helicopters require some significant forward velocity when they auto-rotate. In other words, when they come into land, they're actually moving forward and they, they end up doing a very drastic flare in order to, uh, to land safely in auto-rotation. The auto-rotation, is it what happens in case of a, of a mechanical failure in a helicopter? Is the, the safety yeah, it's, mode it's... of landing or...? That's correct. So in the event of a power failure, a loss uh -huh. of an engine, for instance, on a helicopter, the helicopter won't just fall to the ground, right? It, it has the energy that's, that's already in the main rotor, yep. uh, as well as the forward flight of the helicopter. The pilot can, can pitch down the helicopter and use the, the airflow coming up under the main rotor and change the, the pitch of the main rotor to actually provide you know, slow down the helicopter, essentially. That's the auto-rotation. Uh, and so what we would do in our aircraft is the same procedure, but because we have more energy in that main rotor, uh, we can come down slower and more vertically. In other words, we have the ability, and of course we have the use of our fixed wing for additional lift. And because our aircraft is fully controlled by computers, um, you know, the pilots, the combination of both is completely automated. And so the aircraft can land vertically uh, from any altitude. It could be five feet in a, a, a complete loss of power. And this is a big differentiator for us from other players in this market that have multi-rotors. You know, in the event of a loss of all multi-rotors in a lot of these designs, you find yourself in a much more, you know, difficult situation because you really at that point depend on the very small wing that you have 
or, and of course, if you're over a city or urban area, you're not going to have a runway, uh, most likely. So you have to depend on other technologies like parachutes and, and it really complicates, you know, the, the safety. And so we're very proud of the simplicity of our design and the use of art of just the physics and the energy and the rotor to, to land safely in the, again, in the event of a complete power loss, which if you look at the, just the statistically and the reliability of these systems, like aviation, commercial aviation today, you know, the chances of that are so low, but you obviously want to be prepared for it. What about the drag? It creates, uh, does it create a lot of drag when you're flying horizontally? The, the rotor, yeah. I mean, the, the... It, it does it does not and 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 the reason for that and and as the comment i made about the helicopter helicopters are extremely inefficient uh, in cruise flight because they don't have a wing and they rely on their main rotor spinning still pretty fast to provide that lift in cruise and that main rotor is what causes that drag uh for helicopters what we have been able to do by slowing the rotor down is significantly drop the what we call the L over or the drag and therefore increase the lift over drag uh, uh, ratio, which is a an important measure of the efficiency of the aircraft. And we've been able to do that because now the the weight of the aircraft's on the wing. The wing produces very low drag. It's it's what we call a high aspect ratio wing. Um, it's it's very similar to a glider. If, if you know sailplanes or gliders, they're designed with very long wings, but that are very, um, have a short cord. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, they can stay flying for a long time. And our wing is very, is very similar. It's a very high aspect ratio wing because we only need it in horizontal flight. We have no flaps, you know, because we don't plan to take off and land from runways. So we don't need to generate the lift on our wing at, at, at those, uh, flight phases we we just need it for cruise mm -hmm. um, and recently uh actually last month there was some announcement that the faa was considering changing the certification process for ev tolls from part 23 that applies to small aircraft to the certification that applies usually to tilt rotor aircraft which well yours is not a tilt rotor but i guess it has some elements in common with uh, tilt rotors because you need to coordinate all these different engines that the ones that make you fly horizontally the ones that power you for the vertical lift so what's your take on this is this something that could potentially benefit you if if this change goes ahead uh, because of the uh, of the characteristics of your of your concept yeah so uh, my understanding so far is that the actual the change is is proceeding um uh, from the fa but uh, to answer your question, no, it does not affect us. Uh, and the reason for that is, on, uh, again, a, another differentiator with us and some of the other applicants for uh, certification that are pursuing Part 23. We are not pursuing Part 23. We are pursuing Part 29. Uh, and Part 29 is a transport category for rotorcraft. Uh, it's, okay. it's a type certification. And the reason we can do that is because our aircraft configuration is considered a rotorcraft by design. So a helicopter. A, correct. A helicopter is a is a rotorcraft, and the way that the FAA and other certifying authorities they 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 define uh, the category of rotorcraft. A helicopter is one. Autogyro is another. So there's other other types of rotorcraft, but the important thing is to to is the fact that we can. Follow. We can lay out a 
certification basis that primarily uses rules from Part 29. And then, of course, we have a fixed wing. So we're going to have some rules of the fixed wing category in Part 23. So the, the, the answer there is that we laid out from day one a certification path that was very clear, very uh, straightforward um, with rules that existing uh, with means of compliance that, that exists. So we'll have some special conditions, of course. Uh, we have a battery on, on board. And, uh, but uh, yes, it, we're, we're, we're very uh, confident that our certification path is not going to be affected by this new uh, announcement. You mentioned the battery. What type of battery are you planning to use? Because that's 100% electric, right? Bat- battery powered. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we, we are working with tier one suppliers uh, and our battery energy management suppliers, BAE Systems. They have an amazing track record in developing electrified systems and they are designing uh, and our battery system as well as the flight control computers uh, fly-by-wire system that we have on the aircraft. And uh, we are all electric and there's certainly a lot of benefits uh, for that, but they're working very closely as well with Crane Aerospace, another tier uh, supplier that, that, we're, that you know, is going to provide a lot of the electrical system to the aircraft. Um, mm-hmm. well, what about the materials? Because I think you are also, that's another area where you, I think you are using some innovative technology. That's, I think, uh, thermopl- yes. thermoplastics, right, in the structure, which is, is a bit different from composites from what I understand. It's a different type of uh, plastic-like material, right? It it absolutely is. Um, And uh, again, another another difference uh, for us, uh, we we truly believe that this technology uh, is critical for the mass production of these aircraft. Uh, so, so thermoplastics, uh, it's a plastic, it's, it's not a thermoset uh, like a composite that requires, as, as you know, composites um, have a lot of, uh, take a lot of labor to manufacture. And when you're thinking of mass producing, you know, thousands of these aircraft a year, uh, y- you know, you have to rely on a technology that can be uh, manufactured a lot quicker. Um, and so thermoplastics itself uh, can be hot press formed. It can be welded together through induction welding technologies. Uh, We're working with Carbon Aerospace uh, to provide a lot of that technology and capability. And that's gonna allow us to develop our primary airframe structure in thermoplastics and allow us to essentially just bolt the aircraft together at at certain places without having to go through uh, any rivets, any kind of um, manual labor to assemble the aircraft, which which is extremely time-consuming, uh, certainly doesn't, doesn't uh, help to sort of optimize the production. Why are these thermoplastics not more widely used instead of composites in, in, the, industry, a, in the industry, yeah, I mean, in general? Great, great question. And in fact, Airbus and Boeing have already started to uh, explore the use of thermoplastics. It's a very novel technology for aerospace, uh, certainly when it comes down to developing the uh, the technology to connect and to sort of combine uh, thermoplastics together, as I mentioned, the induction welding, uh, it's still being developed. And that is part of the, you know, the analysis that we did in terms of the, the sort of the risk reward is there's still some R&D uh, that, that is going to take place that, that it currently is taking place with our suppliers on that technology. The maturity, though, is increasing pretty rapidly. And we will see 
all of aerospace, uh, you know, manufacturers, OEMs use thermoplastics going forward. You know, we don't know when, but it, it's it's a much more uh, versatile product than composites for the reasons I mentioned. Things like maintenance as well. You know, when you get a puncture in a composite, it you know takes a long time to repair. Uh, thermoplastics can be repaired a lot quicker as well. So for many reasons, uh, they are, it's a better product, but it does require some of these, you know, manufacturing processes to be developed and uh, they are still being developed. For, mm -hmm. for our plan and our sort of timeline, it, it's, it fits very well. You have already been racking up some orders, right? For, for your aircraft. I, I don't have the exact number here, but I think something in the in the region of uh, 175 plus orders uh, at the moment. That's correct. Uh huh. From whom? I, I mean, I read recently you have signed an agreement with a a company called Vertico in Quebec, right? I mean, you. First yes. of all, let, let me just say something. We we didn't mention you are based in your main base is in in Montreal, right? Oh, but you also have operations in the U.S. Correct. Yeah, like I can I can expand on that. the The company is head, our company John Air Mobility is headquartered in in Dallas, in Texas. Okay. Uh, we we have a small team there, and our business plan, our air, aircraft development plan, primarily. Uh, yes, it's it, it has a very strong ties to Canada, to Quebec in particular, and the reason for that. And so yes, we'll we'll have final assembly in Montreal. The reason for that is. Uh, because we are certifying with uh, Transport Canada. Again, a differentiator for us, uh, the FAA, Transport Canada, and IASA all have uh, bilateral agreements in that if you certify with one, uh, you can validate with the other two, and uh, you essentially have you know certifi type certification with all three. Uh, can uh, Transport Canada has a um, tremendous amount of experience um, and expertise, particularly in the rotorcraft certification. They have certified all of Bell's helicopters since 1982. And that's very critical for us because the group that is will be doing you know the certification testing at Transport Canada needs to have that rotorcraft experience, which they do. And so for that reason, we we have decided to take our you know uh, final assembly primarily in just outside Montreal, um, which is where actually Bell Helicopter is doing their final assembly and certification as well. And uh, I didn't mention this, but I want to just say a quick word about our CEO and his experience. Uh, Martin Perrier uh, was uh, as, as held various executive positions at Bell Helicopter for 30 years and Triumph Aerospace Structures as well. And he spent uh, several years in Canada uh, overseeing the development and certification of helicopter programs, Bell's Helicopter uh, with the Transport Canada. So that experience is, is instrumental, not just with the certification agency, but also with the supply base in, in Quebec. Uh, as you know, Quebec is a, a, the aerospace industry in Quebec is very strong. They have Bombardier there. They have, you know, yeah. other key tier one suppliers, CAE, that is a flight simulation company that is partnering with Jump to do all of our pilot training. Yeah. All of that is critical to us. And so bringing, uh, you know, our, our, our manufacturing and production there is, 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 was a very important move for us. We also have the, the support of the government in that they are looking to bring environmentally friendly aviation, electric. There's a lot of electric uh, transportation 
uh, companies there. And so there was a lot of support and, and that, that's gonna, again, give us another, a more clear path to getting through our, our program. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think you asked about, uh, if you wanna switch, I guess, to the uh, customers. Um, uh, or do you wanna talk more about Quebec? No, no, no. Uh, well, th that's definitely a very interesting, interesting topic. I've been in Montreal. I've been, I've been visiting Bombardier. I've seen uh, some of the facilities where they fit. Uh, they do all the fittings for the for the executive jets, which was very, very interesting. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a a very, very dynamic aerospace cluster. I think also like some Evito. I think this uh, Dufour company from Switzerland yes. also announced recently they are moving some operations there That's right. to take advantage mm -hmm. of all this ecosystem. But actually related to this Quebec thing, I wanted to ask you about this agreement that you recently announced with this company uh, called Vertico. I don't know if I pronounce it correctly. Vertico. It's correct. Vertico. Yeah. Okay. yeah. To develop a, a network of, well, a regional mobility network with your aircraft in the whole of Quebec, basically. Your aircraft has a, a range of uh, between 80 and 120 miles, can fly in about 175 miles per hour. So I think the idea is actually to connect many rural communities to larger urban centers, right? Because uh, of, it's an area with large distances, a very sparsely right. populated area. So yeah. I guess that's, that's where you come into play. What's this agreement about and how you plan to get involved in this? Are you going to operate this aircraft yourself or is it going to be Vertico that is going to operate them? How does it work? Yeah, that's correct. It's Vertico. Uh, all, and our entire business model is, is, is about selling aircraft to operators um, existing and future that, that have found, you know, obviously a, a, an opportunity with urban air mobility or advanced air mobility. Uh, Vertico is one of them. They've got a lot of connections on the, on the infrastructure side and they've developed uh, a network, uh, an initial, you know, day one sort of operation uh, for using these electric aircraft uh, to move people in and around Montreal, but also, for, as you pointed out, to connect certain communities. You know, Canada and Quebec, it's a lot of, lot of land, a lot of traveling on the ground, and there's an opportunity to sort of save time uh, with, with these type of aircraft. Um, and so the partnership that we have with them is to begin to explore, you know, how we can help them with, with our aircraft in terms of its performance, uh, where, where they can start their type of operations, um, what are some of the key routes uh, that, they, that they've been analyzing that they can uh, see you know, demand for this type of aircraft. And so there's still a lot of work to do in, in identifying a lot of those and laying out you know, a plan to either leverage existing uh, airport infrastructure, maybe develop uh, potentially down the road some new vertiport uh, infrastructure. But that's the plan. And of course, Montreal is, is the starting point, but there's other cities uh, obviously going down to Toronto and other areas in Canada that uh, would benefit tremendously from uh, bringing a VTOL uh, aircraft, certainly an electric VTOL, uh, we do have a hybrid concept that we've been sort of working with a, a, a supplier uh, called Vertigo Aero out of Florida. They have a, a hybrid propulsion system that um, is is extremely uh, uh, beneficial to to with the combine it with the design of our aircraft. But our primary aircraft program is the all electric, and 
you know, as battery technology improves, we're, our range and payload capabilities are going to improve. But Canada does have, whether it's remote, uh, you know, indigenous uh, regions uh, that could benefit from bringing cargo, medical supplies, things of that nature. There's a lot of use cases where these eVTOL aircraft could could benefit. And Vertico Mobility is a company that, you know, is initially exploring the the, the use of passenger um, or the use of these aircraft for passengers. You've got this plan to to roll out in in Canada, but you you've got orders from other from other potential operators, right? From other yes. prospective operators. Have they been disclosed, or that's still kind of under wraps? Yeah, the three that we've publicly disclosed um, are Vertical Mobility, as you've you've pointed out, the most recent uh, in in Canada, and then we have a company. Uh, that's uh, currently operating over 900 different aircraft. Uh, they're 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 in Brazil, and their mm. name is Flapper. Flapper has both fixed wing aircraft and rotorcraft, like helicopters. Um, they're they're definitely very forward looking and modernizing their fleets and working with uh, you know new uh, electric aircraft. And so we we did sign a letter of intent with them to bring, you know, uh, our type of aircraft to not just Brazil, but Latin America, Latin American cities uh, that could definitely benefit from, you know, uh, moving people quicker and more efficiently through uh, in and around, you know, the urban areas. Interesting that actually Latin America is one of the large, largest markets for, for rotorcraft at the moment. It's one of the, I think Sao Paulo has the largest fleet of helicopters anywhere out in the world. That's, that's right. And, you know, they have, in particular in Sao Paulo, you know, they've got tremendous congestion traffic and, and there's a lot of value in, in moving people. And of course, not everyone can afford a helicopter uh, ticket. And that's where, you know, the use of these electric uh, technologies can drastically reduce the operating costs for operators. Uh, in our case, we're reducing over close to 50% of the direct operating cost uh, for an operator. And that really translates into a, a much more affordable ticket price uh, for, for the average. And it's only going to get better with higher utilization. And so, you know, there will be other sort of hurdles, uh, challenges to, to overcome, you know, managing the airspace with much many more of these and certainly providing more infrastructure in different locations, but there's already an opportunity once these aircraft get certified to replace, you know, very inefficient, uh, expensive, and, and certainly noisy uh, helicopters. And so that, yes, Sao Paulo won a lot of Latin American cities uh, and around the world, Asia as well. What sort of numbers are we talking about here? What could be the, the typical uh, urban fare for, for a, an EVTOL ride on a joint aircraft? Yeah, so the way we like to sort of uh, frame, you know, the, 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 the cost to a passenger, if you look at the metric we use is dollars per passenger mile. So we have uh, at, the, at the day one sort of outset of, of these operations, we can see, you know, a passenger paying, you know, between four and five dollars per passenger mile. So if you look at a, you know, a, a, a 20 uh, mile uh, distance, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at $40, um, if I'm doing the math correctly, I'm probably not, but it's, um, it, it, it's definitely much more affordable than, you know, a, a conventional helicopter. And then progressively, as I said, as we increase the utilization of these aircraft and provide more routes, these operators will be able to reduce that price down to $1 to $2 per passenger mile. 
And you're starting to now get into the area of competing with, you know, your ride sharing uh, options on the ground like Uber and Lyft. And so it's a very attractive uh, opportunity because you can you can move people. You're giving them another option and, and it'll take some time, but it's certainly a, a, a step change relative to what's available today. One of the things that might be a bit of a barrier, maybe it's the infrastructure. And I think in, on this front, you are also active because you, I think you have created a subsidiary called Access Skyways, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I read on the website, you work together with a, a number of partners to make sure that this infrastructure is in place. So how much involvement you have with all this, let's say, the vertiports, charging stations, and well, basically the whole ecosystem that is necessary for air mobility to take off. Yeah, we, we believe that, uh, you know, we're primarily an aircraft development co company. Uh, that's, that's what we do and that's our, our mission. However, because the aircraft is not just a conventional aircraft, uh, fuel-based, it, it is all electric, and there, there are some novelties to the, to the aircraft operation itself that uh, and certainly in the types of new markets that will emerge, uh, there's a need to address uh, some critical aspects of the ecosystem. And we can't leave that until right before we operate these aircraft. It has to be done now, uh, certainly with regard to infrastructure and in particular charging infrastructure and helping our customers and operators really develop an operational model that, you know, is viable. And so what we decided to do, given that, of course, we were very knowledgeable about our own aircraft, but also understanding of what's required in terms of power uh, and energy requirements, we decided to bring together, as we have with our, our approach to developing our aircraft, we bring together the, the people who know these areas best. And so we formed this group. It's a branch of, of John. It's called Access Skyways that uh, is really bringing experts around the table to address some of these uh, difficult and challenging you know, aspects. And so we're working with uh, BAE Systems, who, who is our primary supplier for the battery management system of the aircraft. They also have a lot of development technology in the, on the charging side and have developed uh, capabilities and technologies that will minimize the disruption to the grid on day one. And that's important because, again, it's a factor that will affect the public. And so we want to be able to minimize that disruption. Um, but they have a lot of uh, expertise in, in that area. And so they're, they're, they're in this group. Um, we're working closely with a company called Avports. Uh, they manage airports here in the U.S. They have over, uh, I believe, close to 10 or 11 uh, regional airports that they manage and they have a lot of experience understanding the the operators the operations of of both you know helicopters and fixed wing and you know they're they're forward looking as well and wanting to be you know critical uh, wanting to be a, a a key player in the future market and provide not just you know services from a airport standpoint uh, in some of these key cities but also help to solve and address some of the, the infrastructure challenges that will be needed uh, for these operations. And another company that, that's in working closely with us on, on Access Skyways is, is an engineering and architecture design firm called PSNS. They work closely with Uber Elevate, who, as you know, were uh, the initial group in sort of 
bringing together this potential market opportunity. And they did a lot of uh, analysis and engineering studies and developing and rendering uh, vertiport designs for the future. And so, of course, a lot of their designs that, they're, that they've been uh, helping us with are much more futuristic. And when we have more scaled operations, they've been able to de- design and develop you know, an approach to, to the infrastructure that's sort of more, um, that, that, that can be scaled. In other words, they have a solution for a day one vertiport versus a, you know, a, a, a year five, year 10 vertiport that is more of a vertical hub and a vertical stop. And it, you can imagine there's going to be varying sizes and considerations. And so those three and, and a couple others are, are we're working closely to really try to say, okay, you know, how are we going to address some of these ecosystem challenges? Um, the aircraft is one piece of this puzzle, um, but we, we can't assume that everything else is going to be uh, addressed on its own. Do you have a date or uh, an approximate date for the start of operations? Uh, well, actually, for the first flight, you, you've been flying. Um, a small-scale demonstrator, right, already? Correct. As I uh, alluded to earlier, we, we acquired the technology, the slowed rotor mm-hmm. compound technology from, from a company called Carter Aviation, and they did uh, develop a piloted uh, prototype uh, to uh-huh. mature. We call it a technology platform. It's the jaunt technology platform. has 300 flight hours, 10,000, you know, 1,000 takeoff and landing, sorry. And so... Um, that that has flown and and matured the main rotor and the main rotor is one of the most critical uh design aspects of this aircraft of any aircraft and so we we now have moved on into our obviously our design phase and and engineering development and we plan to have a flying demonstrator which in fact is really a pre-production model since our design is very much uh uh, fixed in in the in the sense of you know we we will have some tweaks uh, t- to go through but uh, that demonstrator will um, be flying in uh, hopefully in 2023 uh, that's our goal oh that's early um, yeah that's uh, already yeah. around the corner <laughs> that's right and well we you know and we're working fortunately our our suppliers are making excellent progress um, and then you know we'll go through a certification program through part 29 that will have uh, at most you know four four other aircraft to go through testing and, and development and um, we will uh, and we plan to have uh, type certified aircraft by 2026 um, and at that point you know prior to that of course we have um, negotiated agreements with our customers and, and plan to have them soon thereafter operate uh, their aircraft. 2026 would be, in theory, if everything goes according to plan, it should be ready for commercial operations. Correct. Entry into service. At that point, the aircraft has been certified, uh, airworthiness certification, and you know our customers, of course, have their operational certification, and so they can put the aircraft into service. And in the meantime, where can people find out more about Jaunt? Uh, you have the website Jaunt Air Mobility, all in one word. dot com, I think. Any That's other correct. any other channels, resources you you can recommend? I would say you know we obviously are very active on social media, particularly on LinkedIn. Please follow us, uh, follow our company there. Uh, we regularly put um, you know articles about our partnerships. Uh, we're going through a pretty exciting phase right now in the process of raising capital. I want to mention, of course, you, you know, uh, that um, we are uh, now an aero company uh, in that we merged 
earlier this year with five other aerospace and defense companies to form a group uh, called Aero. And we are looking forward to sharing a lot more of that. Uh, it's as much as I could say now, but we, we're very excited about our future and the synergies we have with some of these companies, uh, which will help us as well in our program. But uh, yeah, so really uh, I hope uh, your, your uh, audience can, can definitely uh, take a look at our company and more and, and what mm -hmm. we have to offer. Definitely. Uh, does this group have uh, its own website? It does. Uh, it's currently under development in that it's, it's it, it, there is a website. It's called theaerogroup.com. And by Aero, it's spelled A-I-R-O. And it's theaerogroup.com. Um, we are a wholly owned subsidiary of that group. Um, the website is going to be changing. So, but there is an overview of, of the companies and, you know, the target markets that we're, that we're uh, doing with that, that group. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, that doesn't impact our plans with John. Everything I shared with you stays the same. It's, it gives us actually more opportunities. Excellent. I'm going to be adding this to the show notes then. Well, Simon, thank you so much for your time today and for this very interesting chat. Um, wishing you all the best with this project. And yeah, definitely everyone listening, just go check it out. It's a very unique concept and it would be interesting to, to see it flying soon because 2026 is not that far into the future actually that's right yeah yeah no thank you it was a great pleasure talking with you Mikhail. and uh yeah very excited about this new uh, uh world of of mobility and air mobility i hope yeah your viewers and listeners rather can uh can get a chance to to, to learn more about it mm -hmm. thank you very much simon bye thank you bye-bye before you go and if you like this podcast a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify or whichever platform you are using or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much and see you soon.